Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 16. Previously on Pride and Prejudice, we met the Bennet family, which includes Mr. and Mrs. Bennet and their five, no, six daughters. I can count. Six, five. Oh my goodness. Jane, Lizzie, Mary, Kitty, and Lydia. Five. Whew. We're having that kind of day, apparently. So, we met the Bennets. <laughs> I know who they are. We met their good friend, the Lucases. We met the new man in town, Mr. Bingley, who moved in to Netherfield and brought along his sisters and his friend, Mr. Darcy. They all meet, and Mr. Bingley and Jane are falling in love and it's very nice and sweet. We've also learned about the Bennett family issues that the girls and Mrs. Bennett will all be destitute when Mr. Bennett dies because his money is all entailed away from the female line to Mr. Collins, who is a seemingly sort of distant cousin, but the next male heir of the estate and will be inheriting everything. So we have met him, he came, he's annoying. He plans to marry one of the daughters, which from a financial standpoint, makes a lot of sense. This is probably a good match for them. But nobody likes him and he's really annoying. So that makes it not a good match for them. Sad. Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy hate each other. Well, Elizabeth hates Darcy. Darcy is crushing hard on Lizzie at this point, but Lizzie doesn't know that part. Um, which is entertaining. And then last chapter, we met Mr. Wickham for the first time. Very charming, handsome man who seems to have a problem with Darcy. Whatever could it be? We'll find out this chapter. So chapter 16, as we get into, is where we learn Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham's backstory. Well, at least according to Mr. Wickham. As you know, if you listen to this, I always do spoilers. And this is not, you know, so I'm not going to be pretending I don't know what's coming forward. But I'm just going to give a general warning that this episode in particular, I'm sure I'm going to be talking a lot about things that we don't know about Wickham yet, because that's what makes this chapter so interesting now as a reread. So we're going to get into it. Here we are with chapter 16. So, in chapter 16, we start off reminding everyone that at the end of last chapter, they all decided they were going to go spend the evening with their aunt, Mrs. Phillips, and it says that no objection was made to the young people's engagement with their aunt, and all Mr. Collins' scruples of leaving Mr. and Mrs. Bennet for a single evening during his visit were most steadily resisted. The coach conveyed him and his five cousins at a suitable hour to Meryton, and the girls had the pleasure of hearing as they entered the drawing room that Mr. Wickham had accepted their uncle's invitation and was then in the house. Bum, bum, bum! We're gonna get to meet Mr. Wickham. It's so exciting. All right, so what we learn about this is something interesting that I don't think any of the adaptations keep if they keep the this scene, which isn't always kept. Well, yes, it is always kept, but um, that Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are not at this party. It's something that, like, in my mind, they're at this party. <laughs> It's very strange to me. Like, it makes sense that Mr. Mr. Bennett wouldn't want to come. But the idea that Mrs. Bennett wouldn't want to come for the evening seems very strange to me. I'm, I'm unclear on why she is not part of the party. Because she likes to go around. She likes to talk. Mrs. Phillips is her sister. She loves gossiping with her. It's very strange to me that Mrs. Bennett is not part of the party. But it very specifically says that it's Mr. Collins and his five cousins. Now, I think... One of the reasons for this would be that the carriage can only carry six people inside. Most of the carriages that they're taking would be a six-seater. So maybe there isn't room for Mrs. Bennett to come to. Um, but I would assume that Mrs. Bennett would be upset by that. Like, would want to be part of the party. You know, would want to come in the carriage. And you would think that there'd be a way for them to take, you know, a second carriage or something. Because they all make it to the ball at Netherfield not long after this where... Um, Mrs. Bennett comes with the party, so there's obviously a way to convey them all, all the girls and Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Collins. So, I don't know, that's just a strange detail that pops up here. Like, I'm thinking in the 1990 adaptation, I am sure that Mrs. Bennett is at this, this party. 
Um, and it makes sense to me that she would be. So I'm very confused kind of on why it very specifically says that she is not coming for to this party, that it's that Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are staying home. So that's just an interesting point. I don't know that it means anything. It just seems strange. It seems sort of out of character to me that Mrs. Bennett would not be going to this party. So just throwing that out there. But it means that it's just the five sisters and Mr. Collins are all coming to the Phillipses. Um, and it sounds like the rest of them would have come for dinner. But the, but, um, the Bennets and Mr. Collins are coming after dinner. And it says um, that they enter the drawing room and they find out that Wickham is in the house, but he's not in the room. So it sounds like they've come at a time when all the gentlemen have gone off to like drink pork or whatever like they do, or they're still in the dining room doing that while Mrs. Phillips is the only woman in attendance has left them to it. And so she's out in the drawing room and they all come in and Mr. Collins stays with them now. So he's the only man in the room, I think. And it says that they had all taken their seats and Mr. Collins was at leisure to look around him and admire. And he was so much struck with the size and furniture of the apartment that he declared he might almost have supposed himself in the small summer breakfast parlor at Rosings. A comparison that did not at first convey much gratification. But when Mrs. Phillips understood from him that Rosings was what Rosings was, and who was its proprietor, when she had listened to the description of only one of Lady Catherine's drawing rooms, and found that the chimney piece alone had cost eight hundred pounds, she felt all the force of the compliment and would hardly have resented the comparison with the housekeeper's room. I think that that little section is hilarious and um, it's kind of, it's hard to do in adaptations in a way that like doesn't seem forced and stupid. In my opinion, even the 1995 part of this where Aunt Phillips is like, oh, oh, now I understand. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to me. But in the, in the book, the way she words it there is very fun, I think, that you know, he's giving offense because he has to talk about Rosings constantly, so he has to compare everything to Rosings. And in Mr. Collins's mind, comparing anything to Rosings is just like the highest compliment possible. And it doesn't even occur to him that Mrs. Phillips doesn't know what Rosings is and doesn't know what you're comparing it to, except for that you're comparing it to like a small little room in somebody's house. And she's like, this is my drawing room. How dare you call it small? I just think it's funny, that whole like, Thing. And it shows a little bit about Mrs. Phillips, too, that she is so okay with it once she learns this. And it goes on with him continuing to describe the grandeur of Lady Catherine and her mansion. And this makes Mrs. Phillips like him better and um, think, you know, and he's talking about all of this. And he found in Mrs. Phillips a very attentive listener whose opinion of his consequence increased with what she heard and who is resolving to retail it all among her neighbors as soon as she could. So she likes to gossip, just like her sister, Mrs. Bennet. And so she is enjoying this. She's giving him her rapt attention, enjoying this conversation. And so he was talking like this. It says, um, he was happily employed until the gentleman joined them. So until the rest of the gentlemen who were in the dining room drinking wine and smoking or something came in, came back to the room. So Mrs. Phillips is enjoying this. Mr. Collins is just talking nonstop and it says to the girls, so to the Bennett sisters, who could not listen to their cousin and who had nothing to do but wish for an instrument and examine their own indifferent imitations of China on the mantelpiece, the interval of waiting appeared to be very long. It was over at last, however, the gentlemen did approach. So this part, I don't think we ever see in adaptations that I've seen is the fact that the gentlemen are all off in the dining room. So it's just the sisters and Mrs. Phillips, as far as we know. I'm not, I'm unclear if there might be any other ladies present. You would think that if any of the officers had wives or something, they would be present. So there might be a few other ladies in the room, but they're not mentioned. So in my head, it's just Mrs. Phillips there in the drawing room by herself. Though I guess that doesn't make a lot of sense. It would make sense that there would be at least a few other ladies there. So probably a few of like the officer's wives are there. Okay, I'm going with that. So that Mrs. Phillips and these couple officers' wives are hanging out in the drawing room when the Bennett girls show up with Mr. Collins in tow. And then Mr. Collins just chats incessantly for the with Mrs. Phillips while the girl, the rest of the, the Bennett sisters just kind of sit there in silence and embarrassment and boredom looking around the room at like, it says at their own at stuff on the mantelpiece. So just looking at decorations, most of which it seems like they might have made and like gifted to their aunt. Um, 
waiting for the gentleman to come and it's taking forever but finally the gentlemen wrap up their wine drinking and come back into the room and so then we get mr wickham coming into the room and elizabeth is again struck with how handsome he is it says elizabeth felt that she had yeah i can speak elizabeth felt that she had neither been seeing him before nor thinking of him since with the smallest degree of unreasonable admiration. The officers of the Shire were in general very creditable, gentlemanlike set, and the best of them were present were of the present party, but Mr. Wickham was as far beyond them all in person, countenance, air, and walk, as they were superior to the broad-faced, stuffy Uncle Philip's breathing port wine, who followed them into the room. So, the rest of the militia are all handsome, charming men, but Mr. Wickham is like supermodel step above. He is hot. And Elizabeth thinks he's gorgeous, right? Like she is staring at him like, ooh, I did not even do him justice. He is still just as hot as I thought he was. It says Mr. Wickham was the happy man towards whom almost every female eye was turned. And Elizabeth was the happy woman by whom he finally seated himself. And the agreeable manner in which he immediately fell into conversation though it was only on its being a wet night and on the probability of a rainy season, made her feel that the commonest, dullest, most threadbare topic might be rendered interesting by the skill of the speaker. That's it. So I want to just compare this now. This is their second meeting. So the first time she met Wickham, she saw him very briefly, just noticed he was very handsome, Was able, he was able to say some nice lines or whatever, everybody liked him, but it was very minimal. Now we're getting to, now she's actually able to like sit and have a conversation with him and she's finding that, A, yes, he's just as handsome as she thought he was. Um, she likes him just as much as she thought she did. <laughs> and um, she is super happy to see him and comparing that to what she, her interaction with Mr. Darcy has been, he singles her out immediately for attention. He's talking to her very nicely his social skills and his conversation are all really good. He's obviously a more outgoing person, I think we can take from this. You know, more comfortable in the society. Um, and so Elizabeth is, I think, making that comparison and finding Wickham to be the much better one at this point. Right? She likes him so much better than Darcy. Um, and we will get more comparisons between him and Darcy in, the, in this conversation that they're about to have. So it says, with such rivals for the notice of the fair, so of the women, as Mr. Wickham and the officers, Mr. Collins seemed likely to sink into insignificance to the young ladies. He certainly, insignificance. To the young ladies, he certainly was nothing. But he had still at intervals a kind listener in Mrs. Phillips, and was, by her watchfulness, almost most abundantly supplied with coffee and muffins. So his, his cousins completely ignore him which they would like to do all the time anyway, but now specifically that they have the officers and Mr. Wickham specifically to talk to, they have no time for Mr. Collins. So he talks to Mrs. Phillips. So then the card tables come out and Mr. Collins again makes a little spectacle of himself saying that he doesn't really know how to play, but he's blah, blah, blah. And Mrs. Phillips is like, yeah, yeah, whatever, go sit down. So he goes off to play whist with Mrs. Phillips where Mr. Wickham came to play with Elizabeth and Lydia um, a different game. They're playing Lottery. I don't know about these card games. I'm, But from the annotations and from what I understand, Whist is a much more complicated game. Lottery, lottery is a much more, I don't know, go fish, childish game, I guess. Or not childish, easier. Like not, you don't have to really think about it. There's a lot less strategy. My understanding is that Whist is a very complicated game. Lottery, lottery, lottery is a much easier game. But they're playing game. Um, so Lydia and Elizabeth are sitting at a table. Mr. Wickham comes and sits with them to play lottery tickets. And Lydia, at first there seemed a danger of Lydia's engrossing him entirely, for she was a most determined talker. But being likewise extremely fond of lottery tickets, she soon grew too much interested in the game, too eager in making bets and exclaiming after prizes, to have attention for anyone in particular. And so, allowing for the common demands of the game, Mr. Wickham was therefore at leisure to talk to Elizabeth, and she was very willing to hear him. Though what she chiefly wished to hear, she could not hope to be told. The history of his acquaintance with, with Mr. Darcy, she dared not even mention that gentleman. 
Her curiosity, however, was unexpectedly relieved. Mr. Wickham began the subject himself. He inquired how far Netherfield was from Meryton, and, after receiving her answer, asked her, in, an, in a hesitating manner, how long Mr. Darcy had been staying there. Another bum, bum, bum. He brings up the topic that she wants to talk about, and we are about to get into it with this conversation. There's a lot to say. Here we go. So Elizabeth is primed to be interested in this subject. Mr. Wickham has brought it up himself, and she had just been thinking that there's no way she could find out because she can't, like, directly ask him. That would be rude. But he brings it up, and here we go. So he asks how long that um, Mr. Darcy's been in the area. She says about a month. And she kind of starts talking a little bit what he know she knows about him, that he, you know, is a man of very large property in Derbyshire. And Wickham agrees that, yes, he has a great, he has a noble estate and a clear 10,000 per annum. You could not have met with a person more capable of giving you certain information on that head than myself, for I have been connected with his family in a particular manner since from my infancy. Elizabeth could not but look surprised. So he brings it up. He brings up his connection to the Darcy's to the Darcy estate and confirms what has already been a general understanding that Mr. Darcy has 10,000 a year. And he then, you know, brings up that she probably saw how coldly they um, interacted the day before and how they, you know, how they are not on the best of terms. And then asks, are you very much, are you much acquainted with Mr. Darcy? So here's the question. He's fishing. So he knows that she knows <laughs> that he and Mr. Darcy are not friends. All right. So that's where we're starting from. And I feel like he is now fishing. Like, okay, so do you know Mr. Darcy well? Like, I, I'm pretty sure he, he knows that Mr. Darcy has not been wandering around saying, Mr. Wickham is the worst and I hate him so much. But remember, timeline. This is now the fall. You know, the Netherfield Ball that's coming up very soon is going to happen on, like, towards the end of November, I believe. Mid to late November. We are in the fall here. Probably early November, I'm going to guess. Um, and he tried to run away with Mr. Darcy's 15-year-old sister last summer sometime. We're not sure. I don't know exactly the timeline. But, like, a couple months ago, he almost ran off with Miss Darcy, Miss Georgiana. And so, like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe three months, two, three months later, he suddenly runs into Mr. Darcy again. And if my reading is correct, Darcy's red, he's white. They barely acknowledge that they know each other. It's clear that there's something going on. Mr. Darcy is probably pissed to see Wickham again, right? He never wants to see Wickham again. He's so upset that Wickham almost ran off with his sister and from what we learn later has like broken her heart because she thought he was in love with her and he was not so three months ago he did that and now they just happen to bump into each other again um but you know Wickham knows that Darcy wouldn't have been spreading that story because that looks bad on his sister right he can't tell everybody that hey my sister almost eloped and I had to save her from that herself so that doesn't look good for Miss Darcy so he's not going to be talking about it but I do think he's fishing to see, well, how close are you to Darcy? How is Darcy seen in the neighborhood? Like, what stories are you going to believe if I start telling them? And so he starts off by um, saying so, saying that, you know, he's got this 10000 a year. He's got a really nice estate in Derbyshire. That's something that is kind of factual and Lizzie already knows and can be checked. So it's one of those things that the best lie, I, I feel like I got this from the good place, I, but I don't think they invented it. But I can hear, see Eleanor from The Good Place saying this, that, like, the best lies have some truth in them, right? So you, he starts out with the truth, something that is that makes him seem like a credible witness, a credible source. Mr. Darcy has this great estate, and he makes te and he has 10,000 a year. These are things that Lizzie already knows, shows her that he's telling the truth. And then he asks, and then he, you know, confirms that, yes, we had the very cold manner of our meeting yesterday. Are you much acquainted with Mr. Darcy? And this is where Elizabeth sort of sets the tone, I think, for the rest of the conversation. 
She says, as much as I ever wish to be, cried Elizabeth warmly. I have spent four days in the same house with him, and I think him very disagreeable. So this is Lizzie also kind of getting into the steam of things, because this is, I think, a little out of character for her, a little, like, from what she was thinking, you're not supposed to say this kind of stuff. Like, she's not close to Wickham. This is her first time having a conversation with him, the second time she's ever seen him in her life, and she's getting into this. It's kind of improper that this is happening, but she's kind of getting sucked into the moment, and she does really hate Darcy, so it's her favorite topic. So, obviously, she's going to break a little bit of social norms to go about this. But then Wickham replies, and he's so slimy as he does this, the whole conversation, looking back. She, he says, I have no right to give my opinion, said Wickham. As to his being agreeable or otherwise, I am not qualified to form one. I have known him too long and too well to be a fair judge. It is impossible for me to be impartial. But I believe your opinion of him would be in, in general astonish, and perhaps you would not express it quite so strongly anywhere else. Here you are in your own family. So he's kind of, he's basically like, I agree with you, but I can't say that, you know. I have no, he's, but he's also being very slimy, like, I have no right to give my opinion as to him being, I am not qualified to form one. Like, whatever, you definitely have an opinion and you're about to say it. So this is like very dumb. <laughs> but he's again fishing, like, is this something that you'd feel comfortable saying out loud? Like, why are you, like, what is the general consensus about him? And again, she's giving him the information. She's like, I, I say no more here than I might say in any house in the neighborhood except for Netherfield. He is not at all liked in Hertfordshire. Everybody is disgusted with his pride. You will not find him more favorably spoken of by anyone. So here Elizabeth is giving him the, giving him the information he needs for what he's going to do later of, you know, smearing Darcy's name. He knows he's safe because she's telling him that, like, he's already kind of started the process. Nobody likes him. And I think Wickham is like, oh, cool. I'm good to go. Nobody will care if I start bringing this stuff up. And he says, I cannot pretend to be sorry, said Wickham after a short interruption. So I think this means that, like, they're back to playing the game. They're not talking for a minute. Now he comes back with, with I cannot pretend to be sorry that he or any man should not be esteemed beyond their deserts. But with him, I believe it does not often happen. The world is blinded by his fortune and consequence, or frightened by his high and imposing manners, and sees him only as he chooses to be seen. So here he is within like a couple sentences. He just said that he can't, he won't give his own opinion because he can't be impartial. But then he says, I, you know, but then he says, I cannot pretend to be sorry that he should not be esteemed beyond his deserts. So he right there is giving his opinion that he said he couldn't give, so... Liar, liar, pants on fire. All I'm going to say. Um, it's just he's kind of flip-flopping and saying whatever makes him look good. And saying that, you know, most people do seem to like him because, or are blinded by his fortune and consequence. So this is also sort of stroking Lizzie's ego, right? Like, he's saying, oh, you're so smart that you see past that. That, like, the wealth is not the important thing to you because you are so special. Um, so he's, which is something that Elizabeth, I think, is sort of susceptible to, right? She's already said that she thinks he's hot, he's charming, he knows how to be charming, and he's putting on the schmooze here, being like, I agree with you, I know you are so right and you're so smart, but, you know, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't think of that, wouldn't know that, so good for you. Um, but she replies back with agreeing with I should take him even on my slight acquaintance to be an ill-tempered man Wickham only shook his head so he is still trying to get that information about it and he, I think he's enjoying the fact that she doesn't like Darcy um, gives him you know the ability to talk badly about him which I'm sure he enjoys and it's one of Lizzie's favorite pastimes too so they're getting they're getting along very well here and then it says, I wonder, he said, at the next opportunity of speaking. So again, they go back to playing cards for a bit. You know, I remember Lydia's sitting right there and then there's somebody else because there's four people, I think, around the table playing this game at least. That's how I'm picturing it anyway. I'm not sure. I don't know how this lottery game actually works, but I'm assuming there's four people around the table and we know Lydia's at the table. 
So they go back to playing for a bit or are talking to the table at large and now they're back to their private conversation. I wonder, Wickham says, whether he is likely to be in the country much longer. So here he is again fishing for information. So first he was like kind of sounding out, okay, Lizzie, do you like Darcy? How is he liked in the neighborhood? What's his reputation here? Like what, what, what am I working with? Um, has he been here very long was also part of that. Like, is he like part of this? Do people trust him? So he got all that information about how Lizzie hates him, how the whole neighborhood doesn't like Darcy. So he got that information. He hasn't been here all that long. Cool, cool. Now, is he planning to stay very long? How long is he going to be here? And her reply is, I do not at all know, but I heard nothing of his going away when I was at Netherfield. So she doesn't have much information for him, but there's no immediate plans of his leaving, which probably not something Dar Wickham's happy about, but you know. But then she goes to gets to the point of, I hope your plans in favor of the Shire will not be affected by his being in the neighborhood. And here is something that is interesting that we will find, come also to find to be a lie very soon. He says, oh no, it is not for me to be driven away by Mr. Darcy. If he wishes to avoid seeing me, he must go. We are not on friendly terms, and it always gives me pain to meet him. But I have no reason of avoiding him, but what I might proclaim to all the world, a sense of very great ill-usage and most painful regrets at his being what he is. So, that part there where he says, it is not for me to be driven away by Mr. Darcy. If he wishes to avoid seeing me, he must go. That I see as something that is sort of ironic and proven to be a lie in the near future in that he obviously runs away to London to avoid going to the Netherfield Ball because he doesn't want to see Darcy. And it seems very clear to me through the rest of this novel, we never see Wickham and Darcy together. Now, Darcy has just as much of a reason not to want to see, I think, Wickham. But it also seems to me like it's probably true that Wickham is avoiding Darcy. So I think that this is a lie here that he's like bluffing, saying, I won't, I'm not going to run away from Darcy. If he wants to avoid seeing me, he has to go away. <clears throat> That's all very nice and whatever. But I don't think it's true. I think it's very clear that Wickham is avoiding Darcy because Darcy showed up to the ball. He was like, okay, Wickham, if you're going to be here, Come at me, what? come at me, bro, you know? I don't know, but Wickham's the one who didn't go. Wickham's the one who avoids Darcy, so. I would say that that is not true, and he's got some kind of false bravado there. And then we get to some more information about his history. He says, his father, Miss Bennet, the late Mr. Darcy, was one of the best men that ever breathed, and the truest friend I ever had and I can never be in company with this Mr. Darcy without being grieved to the soul by a thousand tender recollections. His behavior to myself has been scandalous, but I verily believe I could forgive him anything and everything rather than his disappointing the hopes and disgracing the memory of his father. That's very pretty, but also very dumb. <laughs> like, again, he's saying he's behaved so poorly to me, but really I'm sad for the memory of his wonderful father. No, you're not. Like, um, that's, again, very slimy. He's laying it on very thick here. And I I think it goes to show how sort of dazzled Lizzie is by Wickham and how charming and handsome and everything he is and how maybe she hasn't actually interacted with that many different men that she liked or how strongly her crush has already hit. But, like, he is laying it on thick and Lizzie has just eaten it up, even though it seems melodramatic to the extreme. Like, this story that he's telling could be in, like, a gothic novel of the time or something, you know? This tragic story of him losing everything and... Well, he hasn't gotten to that part, but we'll get there very soon. But, like, but him saying that, you know, the most tragic thing is that he has besmirched the honor of his father. Like, shut up. You're so dumb. And I don't think that's true. And, again, it also doesn't match with what he's saying. Because he's saying he doesn't want to besmirch the name of the elder Mr. Darcy, but he's, like, telling all this gossip to Lizzie, which is besmirching the name of Darcy. So he's lying. Um, and so Lizzie is eating it up. It says, she found the interest of the subject increase, to increase and listened with all her heart, but the delicacy of it prevented further inquiry. So she is dying to know. She want, So he has wet her appetite. She is, like, eating up his every word. But she doesn't know... She wants to know what Darcy did to Wickham, right? What was the thing that he did to her? She doesn't know. 
and she can't ask and it is killing her and it's but it's rude to ask so she can't ask and mr wickham i think very wisely knows this and kind of moves on goes to a different you know talks about more general topics Meriton, the neighborhood, the society, appearing highly pleased with all that he had yet seen, and speaking of the latter especially, with a gentle but very intelligent gallantry. Um, so he is, again, just flattering her. He's saying her town is so pretty, the society here. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Lizzie, you, you're the society here. is so great. It's like, the people here are so amazing. So he's buttering her up, button, buttering her up. And, you know, flattering her and her town and doing the exact opposite of what Darcy did, where he, like, looks around and, like, Neh. country towns are so stupid. He didn't say that, obviously, but that's how Lizzie interpreted what he said, you know, about how the people here aren't very good and there aren't, you know, she thinks that he's so proud and looks down on everyone and thinks their town is stupid. Versus Wickham is here saying, like, this place is awesome. You guys are the best. And he's flattering her and she's eating it up and she loves it. And then he says, Wickham says that it was the prospect of society, which is the reason he wants to come here. Um, that his friend Denny had told him that Meriton was so great and the society here was so great. And he says, I really, and here again, he gets a little melodramatic. Society I own is necessary to me. I have been a disappointed man and my spirits will not bear solitude. I must have employment and society. A military life is not what I was intended for, but circumstances have now made it eligible. The church ought to have been my profession. I was brought up for the church, and I should, at this time, have been in possession of a most valuable living, had it pleased the gentleman we were speaking of just now. Another bomb drop. So, very melodramatic. This is the part that really should be in a gothic novel, again. You know, this poor, beleaguered man who was who was taken in by this richer family and promised this living. So if we get technical here, what he's claiming to, what is going on here is that the church at the time had these livings. So like the livings that Mr. Collins, for example, has because Lady Catherine gave it to him. It means that he basically gets to live in this house and he's the pastor for this church or the reverend or whatever they call it there. Um... For the church, she gives the sermons on Sundays or whatever, but everybody in the in the area tithes, and he that's the money he, that he gets, as well as he owns like a little land around or gets to use the land around the house that he's living in, um, and he can farm and make a little extra money that way. Uh, Jane Austen's father was a clergyman, and also like had boarders, young boys come live with him as as like a little homeschool thing that he ran, other ways to make money. Um, but the chief amount of money you would get would just be from the tithing of the local community, um, paying their tithes, which were mandatory to the church. Um, and that would pay his salary. So, um, you'll see within this that they'll say that a living is worth 200 a year or whatever. And that's just how much rents or not rents, tithing that you would expect to get from the local community within the year. Um, so he is claiming that he had brought up, been brought up to be a clergyman meaning he was like being trained and sent to university and everything to be a clergyman by the family and was also had been promised that he would get a living, which these livings were usually given, you know, owned essentially by these rich families who would then get to give them to whoever they wanted to give them to. Um, and usually it would be to somebody, you know, a close family member or a good friend or somebody that you could like give this gift to, which is a lifelong for however long they want it, they would keep it. Um, house to live in and income by being this clergyman. So he was promised this, he claims, by Miss, the old Mr. Darcy and the new Mr. Darcy changed his mind and decided not to give it to him. And that is a big, big deal, right? It's taking away basically an inheritance that Wickham is claiming that he was supposed to get. Which actually that is true. He was the the old Mr. Darcy had planned to do, to do this. So, again, seeding some truth into it. So the, the story that he grew up with Darcy, true. The story that Mr. Darcy really liked him, true. The story that Mr. Darcy, like, had prepared him to go into the church, true. He paid for, the old Mr. Darcy, we know, paid for Wickham to go to university, 
um, in school before then as well, you know, to prepare him for university, um, was preparing him for this life to be able to be a clergyman and had decided to give him a living. Um, and it was worded, as we later learn in the will, that should Wickham take orders, does this living be given to him? So it was kind of an if then, like, right? So if Wickham got his orders and became a clergyman, then he should get this living. Which makes sense, because you can't really give the living to him unless he is a clergyman, right? And what we know actually happened is that Wickham decided he did not want to become a clergyman, and so he didn't get the living because he didn't meet the qualifications for it when it became available. That is not how he is describing the situation here. He's making it sound much more nefarious than that. So he, in very melodramatic statements, says that he has to go into the military, even though that was not his intended profession, and all of this, blah, 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 blah. And Lizzie just breaks in with, indeed, again, eating it up. She loves this great hot gossip. And it says, and so he goes on saying, the late Mr. Darcy bequeathed me the next presentation of the best living of his gift. He was my godfather and excessively attached to me. I cannot do justice to his kindness. He meant to provide for me amply and thought he had done it. But when the living fell, it was given elsewhere. Again, all of this is true. He's just kind of leaving out the fact that it went elsewhere because I didn't take orders because I didn't want to be clergyman. So one big little piece of that story, one big piece of that story missing. But the rest of it is technically true, right? And so Elizabeth pointing out the obvious here, like Elizabeth, listen to yourself, says, good heavens, but how could that be? How could his will be disregarded? Why did you not seek legal, seek legal redress? Because the story as he is presenting it, if it was really left to him in the will, Darcy shouldn't have been able to not do that. And Wickham should have been able to go to the courts and be like, hey, this was owed to me. That guy did it illegally. Like he should have been able to do something about it. Because these are like legal positions and thingamabobs. I don't know. So seeking legal redress, like she's correct. Good thought, Lizzie. If this was true, you should be able to. And again, and Wickham shows that he's kind of very slipperly going through these different things by saying, there was just such an informality in the terms of the bequest as to give me no hope from law. So it wasn't quite as clear cut as he was trying to make it to believe. But then he goes on with, a man of honor could not have doubted the intention but Mr. Darcy chose to doubt it, or to treat it as merely a conditional recommendation, and to assert that I had forfeited all claim to it by extravagance, imprudence, in short, anything or nothing. Certain it is that the living became vacant two years ago, exactly as I was of an age to hold it, and that it was given to another man. And no less certain is it that I cannot accuse myself of having really done anything to deserve to lose it. Such a liar. <laughs> I have a warm, unguarded temper. And I may perhaps have sometimes spoken my opinion of him and to him too freely. I can recall nothing worse. But the fact is that we are very different sort of men and that he hates me. Again, laying it on thick, the melodrama is high. He would get along really well from, with Marianne from Sense and Sensibility with all this dramatics. Or he should be in the play with all, the, with all of them at, in Mansfield Park. Got all sorts of places for Wickham to go. He would be a great actor. Be fabulous. He'd get along with Yates famously. Anyway. Um, but again, he a little bit of truth there that, like, it was just sort of informal enough, you know, just vague about it. Not saying the informality is that it was conditional on him actually being a clergyman and, and eligible to take the living, which he was not. So that's a problem. <laughs> And he also said that he never intended to be. That's what he told Darcy before this ever happened. He like, I'm never going to be a clergyman, so I'm never going to be able to have take this living. So with that informality, it was him not meeting the qualifications, not Darcy saying, no, you can't have it. And this whole thing that he says that Darcy didn't give it to him because he said I was extravagant or imprudent. And I don't know what he means by that. Um, which that part's a lie. Darcy does think those things. But that's not why he didn't get the living. He got, didn't get the living because Wickham said he didn't want it. Or said he did, was never going to be a clergyman. 
And then at the end there, he says, I can recall nothing too bad that I did. I'm like, okay, Wick, I'm sure you didn't do anything too bad. Except for, you know... Well, no, he didn't run out. He didn't try to run off with his sister till after this happened. So I guess he hadn't done anything too horrible to Darcy yet. But Darcy didn't think that he had the temperament of a clergyman. So that part is true. Darcy thought that, but that's all, not why he didn't get the living, right? So again, there's a lot of these like almost truths and partial truths in the story. It's just it's very much spun from for a very specific point. And then at the end here, it says the fact is that we are very different sort of men, and he hates me. That part is true. Darcy is a very different sort of man than Wickham, and Darcy does hate Wickham. But Wickham hasn't told her why. The reason he hates Wickham is because Wickham tried to run off with his 15-year-old sister. And so he, I, Wickham and Darcy are about the same age, I believe, and so Darcy is 10 years older than his sister. So Wickham is also probably about 10 years older. So he's in his mid-twenties trying to run away with a 15-year-old for her money. That's pretty gross. That's, that's a decent reason to hate a guy. So um, Wickham is leaving out just a little bit of context. But that, that statement, flatly, is true. They are very different people because Darcy's much better than him. And Darcy hates Wickham. That is also true. But he has a reason to hate Wickham. So it's just very interesting how going back you can see that most of what Wickham says is technically true. He's just leaving out the context to really understand what it is. All right. So then Lizzie's like, this is quite shocking. He deserves to be publicly disgraced. And here we go with Wickham again being sort of hypocritical in his answer, saying, sometime or other he will be, but it shall not be by me. Till I can forget his father, I can never defy or expose him. Except for what are you doing right now? Wickham is just saying here, until I can forget his father, I can never expose him. But you're exposing him right now. What do you mean? So that is a complete and total lie. He's like, oh, I can never say anything bad about the son because it would dishonor the father. So let me tell you all this bad stuff about his son. <laughs> you are such a... I don't even know what, but awful. Awful is what you are. But Elizabeth, of course, is too busy staring at how handsome he is. So she said, Elizabeth honored him for such feelings and thought him handsomer than ever as he expressed them. So she's just staring at him. Oh, yes. I see her in this moment. If you guys know from the Disney cartoon Beauty and the Beast, there's Gaston. And then there's like those, I think, three girls who just swoon over him the whole time that are like, oh, my gosh, Gaston's the best. I see Lizzie as kind of making that. <sighs> sound that they always do <laughs> during this whole thing. She's just into him, thinks he's so handsome and so charming and has this great, like, sob story. It's fabulous. And so she is, like, in this conversation. So now she's like, but what can have been his motive? What can have induced him to behave so cruelly? And Wickham's only answer is a thorough, determined dislike of me. And he says he dislikes me because he's jealous of me. He says, had the late Mr. Darcy liked me less, his son might have borne with me better. But his father's uncommon attachment to me irritated him, I believe, very early in life. He had not a temper to bear the sort of competition in which he, we stood, the sort of preference which was often given me. Seriously, to basically be like, yeah, his dad liked me better than him. So Darcy was jealous of me. That's, I don't know, A is just rude. But also, like, you're saying you don't want to say anything bad about the late Mr. Darcy, but you're saying some bad things about him, right? You're saying that, essentially, that Mr. Darcy liked you better, the old Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy Sr., and therefore... Dar the younger Darcy was jealous of you because his father like wanted you like his father preferred you over him basically that is I don't know doesn't speak very well of Mr. Darcy the elder to have allowed that sort of thing to happen honestly 
because um, it seems, you know, but he's kind of saying that, like, Mr. Darcy's the younger, is so bad even his own father couldn't love him. Like, that's just rude. I don't know. It's just, it's really bad. And here Elizabeth goes off a little bit. I had not thought Mr. Darcy so bad as this, though I've never liked him. I had not thought him so very ill of him. I had supposed him to be despising his fellow creatures in general, but did not suspect him of descending to such malicious revenge, such injustice, such inhumanity as this. Again, oh, the melodrama. <laughs> and Lizzie doesn't usually talk like this so much, but she gets very passionate about Darcy, which I think tells you a little bit something about how she feels. That's one of those things where the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Again, I didn't make that up. I don't know who said it, but I think it's really true here. Where the idea that, like, she feels passionately about Darcy. Not in a good way. Not that she likes him, but she is passionate about it either way. So I think that that is something interesting to sort of take note of here. That she very passionately dislikes Darcy, which means she does actually, like, feel something for him, which is interesting. And then she kind of goes back over what she knows of Darcy to think about it. So she says, after a few minutes of reflection, however, so at first she says, I can't believe it, basically. But then she thinks, and like, well, I do remember him boasting one day at Netherfield of the implacability of his resentments, of his having an unforgiving temper. His disposition must be dreadful. So she, at first, when she first hears the story, has sort of natural, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe he was that awful. But then she kind of goes through her memory to try and think, like, well, what do I know about him that could work, like, that could match the story? And she remembers from when she was staying in Netherfield, the way he talked about having an implacable character and, like, not forgiving people as quickly as he should. And she takes that as, like, confirmation from Darcy, like, oh, yeah, his temperament is really bad. And then Wickham goes back to what he was saying at first, like, I will not trust myself on the subject. I can hardly be just to him. I'm like, come on, Wickham, you've just been, like, saying horrible things about him this whole time, this entire conversation, but now suddenly you're going to be quiet about it? Okay. Um, and so Elizabeth is deep in thought again for a little bit, and then after a time exclaimed, to treat in such a manner the godson, the friend, the favorite of his father. She could have added, so this is in her head, a young man, too, like you, whose very countenance may vouch for your being amiable. Again, what that means is, in her head, she's like, and someone like you, who's so pretty, so handsome. But she contented herself with what she actually said, and one, too, who had probably been his own companion from childhood, connected together, as I think you said, in the closest manner. So this is again showing us that Lizzie is very blinded by her attraction to Wickham. That she is not seeing some of the inconsistencies of his story. And I think that she's sort of just, I'm not trying to say that Lizzie's dumb or anything because I think she's justified in that. I think most people reading through the first time don't necessarily catch on. I don't. I don't know that you would necessarily catch on that this story doesn't make a lot of sense. But reading through it a second, third, I don't know, for me, 10th, 20th time, I don't even know. Um, it's very clear how dishonest and how sort of slimy he is and how, you know, almost answering questions and not quite and like contradicting himself he is. But I don't think it's obvious if you don't know the backstory, which is really interesting and very well written. Good job, Jane Austen. Who knew? She's a good writer. And... Wickham just confirms that, yes, they grew up together, they lived in the same house, house, sharing the same amusements, objects of the same parental care. So basically saying that he was raised by Darcy's father, too, is what I read from this. Um, and then he explains again a little bit about his father, that his father was the steward of the Darcy estate, and that um, he and Mr. Darcy were good friends, basically, and that when his father died, Mr. Darcy had promised that he would provide for Wickham, for his son, and that I am convinced that he felt it to be as much a debt of gratitude to him as of affection to myself. So his father was the steward of Darcy's father, 
and Darcy's father had promised, or Wickham's father had died relatively young, it seems like, you know, when Wickham was still a child, and had promised to look after, on, on Wickham's father's deathbed, had promised to look after young Wickham and take care of him, you know, deathbed promise and all of that. Again, very melodramatic. Might have actually happened, you know, it seems like something that, like, Darcy as the boss and friend of Wickham, the elders, um, would have promised to, you know, take care of the son, and it seems like the elder did try to do that. Um, so again, a little bit of truth thrown in there. We don't know for sure that he has this deathbed thing. I think this is the only time we hear about it, but it seems like something that could happen. It definitely could be true. Doesn't change the fact that he's the one who got who said he didn't want it. But I digress. And Elizabeth is how strange, how abominable. I wonder that the very pride of this Mr. Darcy has not made him just to you, if from no better motive that he should not have been too proud to be dishonest. For dishonesty you must call it. And this is where I think Wickham is sort of like backpedaling to like Oh, she kind of gets that this is ridiculous. Over the top. And so he says, Oh, it is wonderful. For almost all his actions may be traced to pride. And pride has often been his best friend. It has connected him nearer with virtue than any other feeling. So he's like, sort of, Okay, redirect, redirect. Because Elizabeth is saying, I, I think he must be too proud to have done this. And Darcy, or Darcy, Wickham has to be like, Redirect. No, Darcy's, Darcy is very proud. You're right. Again, with the with the sort of complimenting her intelligence being like you are so correct Darcy is so proud you're just so smart and so good at reading people you are so right <laughs> and like he is very very pride prideful has a lot of pride and that but it's interesting he also makes it into a sort of compliment saying that you know his virtue comes from pride but, you know, we're not all consistent. And his behavior, to me, there were stronger impulses even than pride. So his hatred of Wickham was worse than his pride. Or stronger, or whatever. And then she asks, well, what can pride have ever done him? How can pride have ever done him good? And um, he says that, yes, it leads to him, you know, to be generous to the poor, to display, display hospitality, to assist his tenants, blah, 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 all that stuff family pride, filial pride, where he's very proud of what his father was done and wants to appear like him, brotherly pride, with which with some brotherly affection, which a little emphasis on that word some, which is, again, brood. He's like, I, mean, I guess he likes his sister, but he doesn't really love his sister. He's just being good to her because of, of brotherly pride. Makes him a kind and careful guardian for his sister. So he's claiming that all this stuff is due... So, like, it's one of those things... Where he's trying to bring up and, like, sort of inoculate Lizzie to all of Darcy's good qualities. Because he's bringing up here that Darcy is really good to the poor. He gives a lot of money. He is very hospitable. He helps his tenants. He's a good landlord. All this stuff. He's good to his family. He wants to appear like a good person. He's good to his sister. He's, like, the, the most attentive and best of brothers. But all that's just because he's pride and he wants to have a good reputation. Not because he actually is kind to the poor, is actually kind to his tenants, is actually loving of his sister. It's all just because he's proud. I'm like, okay, you're listing all these really good attributes and saying it's eh, just because he's proud. It doesn't add up, if you ask me. But it is sort of inoculating her. Like, he's sort of pointing out all these good qualities just to take them back, it seems like to me. And then she asks about Miss Darcy. And he shook his head. I wish I could call her amiable. It gives me pain to speak ill of Darcy. But she is too much like her brother. Very, very proud. As a child, she was affectionate and pleasing and extremely fond of me. And I have devoted hours and hours to her amusement. But she is nothing to me now. She is a handsome girl, about fifteen or sixteen, and I understand highly accomplished. Since her father's death, her home has been London, where a lady lives with her and superintends her education. And part of how he knows this is he knows the lady that used to be in charge of her education... And that's how he tried to go run away with her. He's not going to bring that part up, though. But this is one of the things that helps to prove later to Elizabeth that what a liar he is, right? 
because Dar Miss Darcy is not proud. She's just very shy. And she finds that out later. And similar things can be said about her brother. But, you know, her shyness just takes a slightly different form. <laughs> so then, it, then it's kind of funny. After many pauses and many trials of other subjects, Elizabeth could not help reverting once more to the first. So they try to talk about other things. They probably talk to Lydia or whoever else was at the table for a bit. But eventually she brings it back to this most enjoyable topic and to the gossip saying, I'm astonished at his intimacy with Mr. Bingley. How can Mr. Bingley, who seems good humor itself and is, I really believe, truly amiable, be in friendship with such a man? How can they suit each other? Do you know Mr. Bingley? Not at all. He is a sweet-tempered, amiable, charming man. He cannot know what Mr. Darcy is. Probably not. But Mr. Darcy can please where he chooses. So here we go again where Elizabeth is thinking about it and she's thinking back to Bingley and like kind of one of those association things. If somebody's really good friends with a very good person, you assume that they must be a good person too. And Elizabeth's sort of explanation that she comes up with herself, Wickham doesn't even have to help her with this, is just that, well, Bingley's just so dumb he hasn't noticed that Darcy's evil. He's just such a bad... And she probably honestly is thinking like he's so similar to Jane. Jane never says anything mean about anybody, never thinks badly about anyone. And if Bingley's like that and just assumes that everyone's good, he maybe just didn't notice that Darcy is a dumpster fire. And that's where she's kind of coming from here. And she explains it herself, which I think is interesting. Um, but he said, Wickham again sort of says decent enough things about Darcy, saying that he can please where he chooses. He does not want abilities. He can be a conversable companion if he thinks it is worth his while. Among those who are all at all his equals, in consequence, he is a very different man from what he is to the less prosperous. His pride never deserts him. But with the rich, he is liberal-minded, just, sincere, rational, honorable, and perhaps agreeable, allowing something for fortune and figure. So again, he just says, well, you know, he's probably nice to Bingley because Bingley's so rich. And, you know, he's nice to rich people. He's just so proud. Again, just bringing in with that proudness part again, which Lizzie's already well aware of and knows about. So there we are. And then soon after this part of the conversation, everything, the card players all stop. Um, and so then we're, you know, she's done with that conversation with Wickham. And they're just kind of all chatting and wandering around. She ends up with Mr. Collins and Mrs. Phillips. And it's very clear that Mr. Collins comes to stand by her. And we know that Mr. Collins is wanting to marry Lizzie, so he is trying to spend pay extra attention to her, which she's not excited about. But um, it says, The usual inquiries as to his success were made by the latter, by Mrs. Phillips. So Mrs. Phillips asks how he did at cards. And he says he was did very poorly. He lost every point. Um, but then says with earnest gravity that it was not the least of the, uh, of the least importance that he considered the money as a mere trifle and begged she would not make herself uneasy. You know, that he's like, oh, you know, Lady Catherine pays me so well, it doesn't matter that I lost a little bit of money at the gaming table. And Mr. Wickham's attention was caught. And after observing Mr. Collins for a few moments, he asked Elizabeth in a low voice whether her relation were very intimately acquainted with the family of de Bourg. So here again, he's fishing. His attention was caught. He's surprised. They know Somebody here knows Lady Catherine de Bourg. And now again, he's fishing for information. Is Lady Catherine known here? Like, is she liked? Where, where am I on that ground? Because, you know, if they know Lady Catherine, that might like mess up my story a little bit. And she says, oh, I don't know her at all. She, you know, she, but Mr. Collins bought the living from her and, you know, whatever. And then he's able to say that Lady Catherine is the aunt of the present Mr. Darcy. And that's news to Elizabeth. She's like, no, I didn't know that. I had never even heard of Lady Catherine until yesterday. And then he tells her some more gossip, which Lizzie very much likes, saying that Miss de Burke, her daughter, will have a very large fortune. And it is believed that she and her cousin will unite to the two estates. So he's telling her that Miss, Miss de Berg 
and Mr. Darcy are planning to get married, and it's a good match because they're both rich. And this made Elizabeth smile because she thought of poor Miss Bingley. And vain indeed must be all her attention, vain and useless, her affection for his sister and her praise of himself, if he were already self-destined to another. And then she helps him with more information. She helps Wickham with the information by saying that, you know, Mr. Holmes speaks very highly of Lady Catherine and her daughter, but from what he says, I suspect his gratitude misleads him, and that in spite of her being his patroness, she is an arrogant, conceited woman. And Wickham agrees. I believe her to be both, says to a great degree. He says, I have not seen her for many years, but I very well remember that I never liked her and that her manners were dictatorial and insolent. She has the reputation of being remarkably sensible and clever, but I rather believe she derives part of her abilities from her rank and fortune. And here's the thing. Again, with this kind of half-truth thing, this is the truth, right? And this, when... Elizabeth eventually goes to Rosings and meets Lady Catherine. She meets exactly what she was expecting based on how they talked, how she had talked with Wickham about her, right? She finds her to be um, dictatorial and insolent. That is a truth. And, you know, that this reputation of being sensible and clever is just because she's rich. Elizabeth agrees with that. And I think we as readers agree with that. So it helps to back him up that he gives this truth. So again, Wickham's very slippery. He uses the truth wherever he can and just misleads in little tiny bits of information which makes his lie believable about the whole stuff with Darcy because some of the stuff he says is true. So Elizabeth allowed that he had given a very rational account of it and they continued talking together with mutual satisfaction till supper put an end to cards. So they continued chatting and were very well pleased with each other until the card games were all completely over. Um, it says there could be no conversation in the noise of Mrs. Phillips' supper party, but his manners recommended him to everybody. Whatever he said was said well, and whatever he did done gracefully. Elizabeth went away with her head full of him. She could think of nothing but of Mr. Wickham and what had he had told her all the way home. So she is fully just kind of obsessed with him at this point, I think. And, you know, a lot his story, all this stuff is all she can think about. But she doesn't get to say anything, it says, for neither Lydia nor Mr. Collins were once silent. Lydia talked incessantly of lottery tickets, and Mr. Collins, in describing the civility of Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, protesting that he did not in the least regard his losses at whist, enumerating all the dishes at supper, and repeatedly fearing that he crowded his cousins, had more to say than he could well manage before the carriage stopped at Longbourn House. And that is the end of the chapter. So Lizzie just leaves, again, full of all her thoughts about Mr. Wickham, but unable to talk about it at all, because the others are talking too much, essentially. But she will get to talk to Jane about it next chapter, so we will hear a lot of this stuff again, or at least get to talk about it a little more with Jane, which is always fun and interesting. But I think it's very telling how shady. Like, it shows you how kind of shady Wickham is in that he keeps saying, oh, no, I can't say anything against Mr. Dar or ben against Mr. Darcy because I have so much respect for his father. But here, let me tell you all stuff about Mr. Darcy. <laughs> he keeps contradicting himself with that. And, um... Yeah, he just, he is very clearly shady, I think. And it's also, I think, you're supposed to notice that it's kind of improper for him to be having this kind of conversation. It's mentioned a little bit that Lizzie knew she can't ask because it's improper. The fact that he's bringing this up, the fact that they are just met, like this is the first time they're talking. They first even laid eyes on each other like once, the day before. Now today they're having this deep conversation about this very scandalous topic. It, um, it's not normal. It's not societally acceptable. And Lizzie even knew that before it happened, but is sort of ignoring it. And I think ignoring it also just because it's such good, fun gossip and it's so interesting to her. But I think we are supposed to notice that it is improper and... Or maybe even not. I don't know. From a, from a modern reader, it's much harder to see the impropriety of it because they're just, like, chatting. 
but um, topics of conversation are specifically thought about here. And it is, I think, improper and weird that that is the thing he wants to talk to her about. And I think if you had the chance to, like, sit back and think about it, she will and later on notice how, like, strange it is that this was their first conversation they ever had. Um, and that that's all he wants to talk about. He always wants to talk about how awful Darcy is. That's weird, right? If this if his stories were true, why is that what he wants to, like, dwell about all the time? Um, but because he's so handsome, because he's so charming, because Lizzie also loves to hate Darcy and it's so much fun, she doesn't even notice it at this point. And I do think that that is interesting, how that goes. So basically, through this whole conversation, what we get is our big introduction to Wickham. I think the most that Wickham talks. I don't think we see... We see him again, but I don't think we get to, like, really sit, have a whole chapter of conversation with him again. Um, so this is the Wickham chapter, kind of. And it also helps to cement Lizzie's dislike of Darcy. Because before this, she disliked Darcy. She thought he was disagreeable, but she didn't think he was evil. Now she is able to be really, like, get on her full hate for Darcy. He's not just annoying and disagreeable. He is also rude and mean and awful. And so I think this is an important chapter to have because we need this information to make Lizzie really hate Darcy. Because if she just kind of dislikes him, it doesn't have that same impact when um, she yells at him later at Rosings after his first proposal. We need to have real full-on hatred for him. And this is the start of it. Um, though it will be added to with what he does with Jane and Bingley later. But right now, this is the starting of that real flame of full-on hatred for Darcy that is so necessary for her to really hate him at his, at his proposal that's coming up. And that's what we have in this chapter. So next time I'll be back with chapter 17, where we will talk more about this whole situation with Wickham because Jane, she'll get to talk to Jane about it. And um, then we'll get to, I think, the chapter 18, the one after that, is where we get to go to the ball. So that'll be very exciting. We're getting into some fun stuff. And I will see you back next time for chapter 17. Mm -hmm.